0: We thank you first and foremost, just uh, for quite literally seeing us through a storm. I know there's still a lot happening out there, and like John said earlier today, there's a lot of work still to do. Um, but thank you for uh, bringing the rain, clearing the uh, the smoke. I'm sure it helped the um, the firefighters, and uh, just bringing the the sun back out, and yeah, just that so we see at the end of something, there is uh, there are the things that don't change that are waiting for us in the end. And as much as The sun and this earth and everything are going to eventually go away. We can look at them as representations of of you that will never go away. And we just thank you so much for that. Pray that you would just, uh, you'd be with us as we get into your word this morning, that you would just, you would share what you have to say, not necessarily what I have to say, but I I do pray that I'd be a vessel for that. Just first and foremost, that you would be exalted and that your word and that your truths would be shown to all of us. In your name, amen. So last week I talked in uh, Philippians three, which is one of my favorite passages in the entire Scripture. We're jumping to—I'm just picking my favorite stuff. Um, I hope you guys don't mind, but um, we're going to be kind of selectively going through chunks of the end of First Peter chapter three, and then parts of chapter four. And um, you know, Peter's a—he's a cool guy he's a very interesting man you look at um, especially in contrasting to Paul who was just an academic giant and somebody who was so well spoken somebody who could debate with I mean he would be the equivalent of your your uh, your high end Ivy League or debate team you know uh, theologian extraordinaire I mean just pretty much any human accolade you could put on somebody intellectually you could give some version of that to Paul no questions asked um, Peter was a slightly different kind of guy. He was uh we'd call it blue collar today. He's a very down to earth, he's a fisherman. He was a I'm sure he uh, he had rough hands, you know. Um but talk about somebody whose life was just transformed um radically when Jesus met him up in Galilee. It was just like, No, come with me. You need to and you leave this behind. I have something better for you, I have something bigger for you. And and Peter you know I mean i it's uh after Jesus went up to heaven and the um uh peters was, was teaching a lovely part where uh the leaders in Israel were just so amazed when they heard Peter speak because it was obvious that he was kind of an idiot, but that truth was coming out of him I mean that's paraphrasing a little bit, but you know just the idea that um Peter was just a vessel, he was somebody to be used by Jesus, and uh it didn't matter that he didn't have the education or the eloquence uh, naturally given to him at the beginning of his life, Jesus gave him what he needed to accomplish the goal that, um, that Christ had for him. And that's, it should be encouraging. I mean, of course, the famous uh, story the night before the crucifixion of Peter denying Christ, I mean, just one of those, can you just, can you imagine going through three years Following Jesus, listening to Him, witnessing the miracles—I mean, the, he, he was up on the mountain of transfiguration. I mean, he, he saw Jesus get transformed just for a brief, you know, instant to a to a, a piece of his of his actual glory. I mean, if Jesus had been in his full glory, they would have all died. So we know it was just a little piece. But um, after all that, to when He was confronted by just some people. It was it was a a servant girl. It wasn't even like you know a a Roman captain or somebody you know or or a Pharisee or somebody really powerful in the worldly sense. It was just a servant girl. It was just like you you know you know Jesus, you're with him, and just immediately cower and 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 deny. I mean, just I. It's one of those things that I can't imagine the shame. At the same time, to a smaller extent, I would want to bet everybody here in this room has experienced some version of that in their life at some point where. They were confronted with something in the world, or ran up against something where we know full well what our response should be, and we don't quite measure up. Um, Then we just just thinking about about Peter, and then you know he didn't write a ton in the New Testament. Um, uh, I believe, and a lot of people do, that um, he's the voice behind the Book of Mark, that Mark was writing for him, Um, and then First and Second Peter. So it's just, is it, there's three books, um, but my gosh, did he have a lot to say. And in in 1 Peter 3, verse 18, oh, Sorry, verse 13, <laughs> I brought my new King James this week. I, I forgot last week, so I got the right uh, version for you guys this week. <laughs> I'm just going to read through 13 through 17 here. And we're going to back up and go through it. And who is he who harm who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats or be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Again, thinking back on on Peter's life experiences, for him to talk about, in the face of, of suffering, persecution, hardness, to just stand up and be like, I'm with Jesus. Uh, he, he knew what he was talking about. he had intense personal experience in this area, and this is something that is so it was so poignant during the first century church when peter wrote this and is is known less to us today um, just thinking about the world today it's um this year you know has been been a fun one kind of one for the the history book, so to speak although it's it 's interesting it 's in the context of the um, you know kind of our modern western idea of of what hard Times are right um, I mean it, the first century you know Peter's writing this and we're we're starting to see the the turn towards intense persecution towards Christians I mean most of us here know full well you know the what was occurring in the first century I mean the, the horror stories of Nero and what was going to happen to Christians the um you talk about persecution you know being being fed to lions and used in gladiatorial arenas you know used as human torches for our crazy man's midnight I mean just it's that's where just the idea of very possibly being killed in horrendous ways for the very mention of, I'm with Jesus. That's a, that's a pretty intense background for somebody to say, it's okay, stand up, and don't be afraid, have hope. I mean, that's the, in the middle of all that to say, hope, hope. Um, I want, and that's what I want to focus on at the beginning here, which is just hope in the middle of suffering. Because you and I can't do that without some external source. It's not possible. Um, hope is something that uh, it comes in from, out, from the outside. Hope is not something that's just manufactured. There's not a, a human way to just, I'm hopeful because I am. Uh, hope has to have a source. Uh, we don't always know what it is if, if we're just kind of, you know, hold on to, to hope for hope's sake. And there's a lot of, you know, kind of cliches and songs there. Now, if you actually dig into it, if you really spend some time thinking about what hope is, how it works, it has to have a source, or else it's, it is just literally a meaningless, empty cliche. It means nothing outside of that. Um, but then you get into, okay, so you need hope. Hope is undeniably essential to... Um, to human existence. There's actually uh, some stories um, from various wars. Um, I was curious, I was digging into this. I, I love history and I was in the military. I enjoy military history specifically. and um, That there are reports, not a lot, but there are reports in most wars of men who die from no apparent injury whatsoever. Um, and there's not necessarily a scientific way to uh, to say this, but that a lot of doctors unofficially throughout history basically said that they died from a lack of hope, that it was just a a true, just there was nothing, they didn't see any way out. It was just, it was complete psychologically just a shutdown. And without any sight of an end or, or a way out of, you know, the hellish situation that a combat you know, scenario would be in in a war, whether it's a recent war or an old war. I mean, gosh, old wars were you know we've made war pretty civilized. Um, the idea of marching out with uh, with a sharpened metal stick and a and a shield and just beat. I mean, that's just that's a, talk about war being pretty horrific. Not that it uh, was better World War II, for instance, but it's just I mean, the idea of like talk about a situation that was so devoid of any hope, right? Your best case scenario was just not dying. And when there is no sight out, a human being can't function. They they don't have anything to live for. They don't have anything to to look forward to. And they quite literally cannot live without something. And we all know, and anybody who's listening who doesn't know this, I hope you, you would find this out, but there is only one true source of hope in the world, and that's Jesus. But hope is something that is, is living. And that's why we say Jesus is, is um, you know, there's a great song that Jen does every now and then called Living Hope. And it's, it's the idea that, that we have a, a hope that's not just an idea. It's not just something that um, uh, we're hoping is true. <laughs> it's something that has been real and revealed. It's something that is, um, it's a, it's a person. It's not just an idea. And that is something that, Will get us through the idea that if you do have hope in the middle of the horrificness of life, you have that tether to Jesus that will see you through it, and that is something that nothing else can offer. Um, the world is is so. It's funny. This is one of those things that's so obvious because you look around and there's um, there's a lot of uh, missing missing things in people's lives. People are looking for it all the time. There's, there's different types of uh, of um missing hope you see in the world and and if you if you look at just about anybody on the on the planet, including most Christians, by the way, struggle with certain parts of this because we don 't like we talked about last week we don 't just magically lose our our flesh when we get saved right we 're still dealing with it we 're still burdened by the weakness of our earthly forms but first and foremost, if you're not saved, there's just an emptiness. I, I, there's different versions of this. I've heard different quotes, but um, you know, the idea that everybody has a God-shaped hole, that there's a missing component in every human being, whether they they don't know necessarily that it's God that's missing, but they know something's missing. Um, uh, John Corson had this great uh, analogy. He said, uh, if you get into a car, it's a complete thing, but uh, you can't do anything with it unless you have the key to put in the ignition. There's literally like, there's a hole in the steering column. <laughs> or, you know, some older cars are on the dashboard. But, you know, the idea there's, there's this very small hole. It's very specifically shaped. You know, to take one thing. And without that one thing, the whole thing is pretty much useless. Um, it doesn't work. It won't run. It won't function. Um, it might look pretty. It, it might, you know, you might go to jury rig it for another, some other, for some other purposes. But what it was built for, the purpose of a vehicle is to drive. And unless you have the key, it can't work. And it's true for us, right? That there's some things that we can do. There's some you know, some really messed up ways of living and some uh, uh you know, you look at gosh, the way that people live and the uh, the really screwed up ideas that people get about how life is supposed to work because they haven't actually found the key to what they're actually built for. Which is Jesus is turning us on and driving us and and, and giving us that uh, that um, fulfilling the the purpose for which we're made, which is to glorify Him, which is to worship Him, and so that that emptiness that everybody experiences until they find Jesus is there, whether they're realizing it or not, it's there. Um, another thing that uh, people you know people have a a lack of hope just out of loneliness they. They want something. They they see something. I mean, you know, I was just talking to somebody the other day, and they were you know just saying, "I just I'm feeling lonely. I'm feeling like there's something missing," and people try to fill it up with all kinds of things, right? I, I, relationships are one of the biggest things, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, marriage, friendship. All those are wonderful, God given things, but you think sometimes, oh, if I just had this, it, it would it would fix this in me, right? I'm I feel like I'm missing something. I feel like something is just not quite right. I mean, gosh, how many. The entire music industry would go out of business if uh, people start stopped feeling uh, lonely or tired or wanting love some way. Or you know, <laughs> it's almost all of art right there wrapped up into the human um, pursuit of filling what they're missing. Uh, people suffer from a um, from guilt on a regular basis. The idea that I just I know that I've fallen short. I don't even know what the standard is half the time, but I, I know that whatever I'm supposed to be. I'm not there. And this is, I mean, even in the secular world, this is true all the time. People, you know, looking for, I, I need to be more organized. I need to be more, um, I need to be more loving. I need to work harder. I need to make more money. I need to be more charitable. I mean, a lot of times they'll fill good things in that slot of, I need to be more of this, but they're still chasing a thing. They're chasing just, um, something that is, might be good, but it's not the good. It's not the main thing. Um, anxiousness. I mean, gosh. People being just terrified of death and the end and, and loss and I mean, gosh, why is insurance such a uh, rocking business? I mean, it's huge. Just went just went through it now. It's like immediately something bad happens. Like we got insurance, right? Because I don't want to have to deal with the uh, the real repercussions of what just happened. I mean, there's a lot of cost. There's time. There's work. Somebody else is going to pay for this, right? Because I've been you know, giving my twenty bucks a month to uh, some company. I've never <laughs> never interacted with outside of an email or a phone call here and there. But you know, just the idea that. The anxiousness drives it's undeniable because it's driving an entire industry to we need to protect ourselves, we need to mitigate consequences. People are anxious. I mean all these just look around. All this stuff is is right in front of of all of us. It's undeniable. People who try to act like, no, we just the world's great and we're just kind of doing our best. And you know, you Christians who say like we're missing no, you just need to calm down and believe in, you know. I'm like, what are you crazy? Look around. People are the ultimate evidence of, of of Jesus Christ and God. I mean, it's you don't need to be a theologian or have a you know advanced psychology degree to just look around the world and see it's broken and it's missing something, and that's Jesus. Um, but to to get back to what what Peter's talking about here, it's. We still live in the middle of all that. We, we're surrounded by people who don't believe that are dealing with that. And then internally, we're still struggling with those things. I mean, I, I don't know of any Christian who just immediately lost all their worry, um, all their anxiety, all their uh, um, loneliness, guilt. Gosh, after I got saved, I remember I still do sometimes you know, deal with an intense guilt because when you do mess up, you have such a clear idea of like, this is the standard. This is what's happened. This is the, the grace that's been poured out to me. And I know that it's true, yet I've still fallen short. Oh my gosh. It's just, I mean, if, if you let it, it can get worse because you're, you're falling into the trap of not truly accepting the grace that's been poured out that you, you're, you're covered. Your, uh, your work is not what's gonna get you into heaven. Your work is not what's gonna make you righteous before God. But again, we still struggle with these things. And Paul is calling for a, a calmness and a, a hopefulness in the middle of that. He's saying, be aware of the big picture. Keep your perspective correct. That in the middle of, of all of this, be hopeful. Sanctify your hearts. Be, be, be ready for an answer to the people around you. Because people are going to be looking at you going... What do you have that I'm missing? Because you know they're dealing with all the same things, but they don't have Jesus. And at some point, somebody's going to, whether you realize it or not, look at you. And whether it's a conversation you have or something you tell them by simply how you're living. Gosh, our witness anymore, especially with the Internet, is so, we don't know who we're touching anymore. I mean, it used to be just people you were physically in contact with. Maybe one person removed, you know, somebody would tell a story about you. And that was about as far as it all went. But nowadays, it's, Gosh, if you spend any time online, if you're involved in in social media at all, I mean, you have no idea how far your example, your witness can go. And make sure that you're speaking. Hope in Jesus Christ. The other thing about the where where Peter says you'd be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason is... I sincerely don't think that Peter, especially Peter, was talking about um, be ready with some heady intellectual theological explanation for a Scripture here. Um, <laughs> there's a great example in uh, just the answer it, in John uh, nine twenty five. It's um, during the story when Jesus sees a blind man, and and uh, his disciples ask if uh, you know has he sinned? What 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 happened? You know, it caused this by blind- him. Jesus was like, no, 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 and, and he makes. Spits in the mud and makes mud and puts it on the, and he says, go, go wash at the spring. And of course, the blind man is healed. And, uh, he's brought in, you know, cause it was wrong on the Sabbath. And Jesus loved to, he loved to do that one. Just to make a point there about, it's, you guys, the, the laws is not what saves you and you guys have gotten it all wrong. Anyways, the, um, you know, the blind man is taken before the, the leadership and he's, you know, they're kind of grilling him like, you know, who do you think he is and why did he do this? And, and at the end of it, the blind man just has this amazing response. This is John 19, 25, uh, the second half of the verse. He just says, one thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. And there's just that simple, like, this is what happened. And not that there isn't intense value, and there's tremendous value in, in, in growing in intellectual understanding of, of Scripture, I mean, all the scriptures here, here for our benefit, and really um, digging deep and in, in getting into the meat of Word. But at the same time, you never want to get too far away from the idea of, like, just all I know is, even, the th- even when I can't explain, because there are parts of the Bible I can't explain. I, You know, I'm, I'm working on it. Um, I and think any honest uh, teacher or theologian in, that's ever lived would say, like, there's you never get the whole thing. Um, but there's one thing that you know, is that I was lost I was blind. I was completely helpless. And then Jesus came in and saved me. And that redemption on a personal level is something that one, nobody else can deny it because it, it happened to you and it, it's happened to everybody who's, who Jesus has ever touched. And that is the simple hope that I, I believe that, that Peter is calling for here. Just that don't lose track of that simple truth and don't ever, ever be ashamed to share it. And especially, especially in the midst of suffering, um, you yeah, know, it's suffering is something that um, our our instinct is to try to, try to avoid it, right? The the world's definition of a, a good life, um, kind of the uh, what we're supposed to be chasing is is the absence of suffering, and especially if something is going wrong, to not be hopeful and uh, be joyful. It's no, no, no. Your, your goal is to get out of it. Um, that's not what we're called to do. But I was just thinking about it. It's you know, the world is is so obsessed with both. Avoiding suffering, and at the same time um, labeling suffering as just the reason why their lives are bad, um, the reason why um, anything isn't quite right. It's um, it's interesting because this is a, a, a little rabbit trail I'll go on here. I've, I was talking with my dad the other night. we were talking about history, and there's a, there's a cycle in history that's uh, really interesting, but it's. I, As plain as day, if you just bother to to look through even one generation. Um, there's resets that happen in history. There are, things get really bad, culturally. Um, it leads to other problems. Things kind of fall apart. And there's almost always a reset back to a very, um, because, uh, the, the process of reset tends to, uh, mess up economics. It tends to mess up, um, the uh, industries that kind of keep life going smoothly and easily. There's um a a reset back to a simpler and usually very conservative uh, mindset. This is true all throughout history. It's happened. I mean, everything way before Christ. You can see these examples in um, historical and cultural resets. And then if you look at it, we immediately start working at making life better and easier. We start building roads. We start building infrastructure. We, we start um, building an economy. We start uh, trying to get farms to the point where you can produce more with less work. There's, there's all of this this work to make life easier, make life better, make life more organized. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. But history will also show you, without fail, that when you do that, when you make life easier for the next generation, eventually you're going to get to the point where you'll get a generation that the work's all been done for them, and they have no idea what to do with it. Um, because they didn't have to work super hard to get what they had. I mean, this can be true in, in, in a single generation where, you know, the difference between somebody who earns their money versus somebody who just inherits their money. The same thing is true when somebody works really hard to build, whether it's something as small as a town or something as large as a nation, and then people who just inherit it. We know full well that if we make life too easy for the next person, it's going to uh, kind of... We're kind of setting them up for failure, we're kind of making it uh, to where they don't have the very real and important benefit of the hard work to get the the um, all of the benefits of, of that hard work. You know, the, the the security, the idea that you you don't have to work quite as hard for things. You you already you know the homes are built, the the, the crops are there, all the infrastructure is there. The um we. We know that we're going, i I going make it smaller, because so I'm getting too big here, with, with with our kids. If you make your kids work really hard, they're going to benefit from that hard work in order, they're going to appreciate what they have, they're going to, I, I'm struggling with this, My, i got a 16-year-old daughter, a 14-year-old son, and a 12-year-old daughter, and I'm like, I want to give them everything. And at the same time, know that if I do, I'm just going to, Actually, make I'm going to set them up for some failure, but you don't want like you, you love your kids. You want to just provide for them. You want to like oh, I just I want to give them everything I can. I, I don't I don't want to see my my kids suffer. I don't want to see them have to. With the same time, I know that if I really love them, if I really want the best for them, I'm going to have to let them work for it. I'm going to have to let them learn some hard lessons. I'm going to have to step back and be like, I can solve this for you instantly, but I'm going to let you figure it out. Um, Gosh, uh, my, my youngest daughter is, um, she's homeschooling and, you know, there's some, uh, times where she just doesn't quite know how to do something like math is a fun one or, um, you know, some of the science stuff. And you're like, I could just give you the answer, but you need to fight through this. You, you need to get there. You need to go through the process. You're going to learn it better. You're going to benefit from it. And it might be painful. And my, my youngest daughter, she's the emotional one out of my three kids. She's the one who will break down crying. I mean, just, in pieces, because she doesn't know the answer to a math problem, because she just—it's so intensely like emotional for her. The um, gosh, she uh, she's a gamer, and there's there's some games that she'll play where she just is beating her head against the puzzle. She loves puzzles. She loves things that are really difficult and tedious, and just that I, she wants to do it so badly, and it would be easy to just okay, I can do it for you. I've done this before. I know I know what the solution is, and but it would be in the long run, it would be harmful. And all of this to say that there is a Jesus to a much better extent. I mean, I'm giving you very flawed human examples that are very trivial. But the principle is true. And God knows ultimately what's best for us. And the suffering that he lets happen in our lives is not something to be avoided. And this is the part that's like, I, I don't like this, this truth. I, I don't like it at all. But it is the truth, and it's undeniable, all through through God's word, that he lets us go through things. He deliberately puts things in our way at times. Because he has the perspective to know exactly what we need and what we need to go through. And the truth of the matter is, is that when you put hardship, when you make people fight through intense opposition, the end result is going to be so much better than if they just got to kind of coast through it. Um, I mean look at the uh look at the church today in the Western world where we have it pretty good I, I I know we could sit back and we could talk about you know all the uh, the things to complain about in this country you know the um, the opposition that, that we have politically, the opposition we have culturally the fact that you know there's there's things on television that are really offensive and there's you know out and out attacks i mean there, there are I'm not trying to minimize the fact there are very real problems that we're dealing with today and very real threats to to our faith and to us as Christians and us getting to i mean Never thought this would happen in America, but it's starting to happen with... I mean, COVID was an interesting uh, example of little inroads into telling the church how to be, um, you know, using an excuse um, of a pandemic, and not to deny the pandemic being real, but that we're going to single out churches and tell them how they can operate, while at the same time not imposing... Anyways, but it's... There is a... My my point is that there is persecution going on today, but it would be easy, and it's and, and, and it's a little self-indulgent for us to kind of get into a, a little bit of a, uh, a Christian pity party mm-hmm. about oh, it's so hard. I mean, you just you know look at the attacks and look at the media, and it's it's so you know just oh my, everything's over. Two things: one, the perspective of how good we still have it in this country, I think is important. Not to deny that we still need to work, we still need to be aware of the threats, we still need to take them seriously and we still need to respond to them. But just keeping it in perspective, I think, is important. The other thing is, it's good for us to be challenged. It's good for us to be pushed. We are not going to grow in nearly the same way, not nearly as healthily, as when... The church is thriving. We got tons of money. Nobody's opposing us. The worst thing we have to worry about is some random person on Facebook, you know, who's an idiot and, you know, railing against us. I mean, like, that's the wor- It's good for us to be pushed. And that is, that is a reality that as much as it's, it's plain and true all through history and in God's word and all throughout church history that, gosh, when the church has faced intense persecution is when it's just thrived. When evangelism has just been more potent than it's, than it's ever been, you know, before in the you know the first century, parts of the third world where where things are really really rough on Christians, and just the the church um, is vibrant. And you know, we like to uh, we like to complain about our little problems over here. And again, I'm just perspective is everything, guys, and it's something that it has to continually be reset because it, it's a natural human tendency kind of rest. Um, it, we have to be very consciously, actively working at staying on top of this kind of stuff. So it's not something where you, know, you hear it once, you accept the intellectual truth of it, and you just kind of move on. It's something that emotionally and very really has to be something that reoccurs every single day. Um, it's uh, embrace suffering. Um, I'll just give one little antidote here because uh, I was in the infantry uh, out in Fort Benning, Georgia. I was in the 3rd Infantry Division. This is uh, almost 20 years ago now, so I'm feeling old all of a sudden. But I know, I know. I'm young to you people. It's all, you know, from where I'm sitting. <laughs> Anyways, um, we had an embrace, and I'm sorry if this is, uh, I'm just going to say it. We would, I, the phrase was embrace the suck. Um and that's the mild version of it so some just leave it there, but the idea of just like when you're in basic, it is not fun, and at the same time it's actually a lot of fun it it's a weird mix, but you are going through one of the worst mental and physical challenges um a human being can be put through uh it's it's awful, and at the same time one you're going through it with other people, which makes i mean I can't imagine basic by yourself that would be horrendously uh i That's if you didn't change anything else, but you just made it by yourself. I don't don't know how somebody could do that. That would be, I mean, there's a few people that probably could, but like the idea that you have a camaraderie, you have the um, you have your brothers. Uh, When I was in the infantry, it was just guys, so you have your the brotherhood of like we are going to do this together. We're going to beat the drill sergeant because he is he's a mean person. But there's a. you look at the, the the suffering and the torture they are just throwing on you, and you're like, "All right, let's do it. Let's just let's head into it. We're not going to try to avoid it. We're not going to try to like weather it. We're going to beat it." There's a mental attitude that is so necessary for getting through basic training, and this world absolutely can be looked at as some kind of form of that. I mean, I no knowledge is perfect, but I like this one and I can relate to it, so I'm, I'm sharing it. That there is, you, you you don't try to avoid it. You come together with people who have a common goal, and that is other believers, right? We we all know we should have this in common. If there's any, if we disagree on some fine theological points, if we disagree on what our favorite worship song is, or you know if it's too fast or too slow, or you know if I oh I I wish that we would spend more time in the New Testament. Oh, I wish we still you know studied more Levitical law. I mean, whatever. We do. And we should always have in common the hope that is Jesus Christ and that that is the driving force that pushes us through the reality of this sucky world. you got to embrace it. you, you got to go with it. And that is, that is a truth that is hard to do. I mean, there's a reason why basically the last 13 weeks, at least for me it was 13 weeks, there's different versions of it. And then you're like, oh, thank God, I'm on the other side of it. And you get to relax. You get to breathe again. And there are, I mean, even in you know the first century, there's examples where, yeah, it, got, it was really bad, and then God gave people rest. He, he knows when you need a break. He, he, you know, it's, it's not something that's going to go 110% your whole life. I mean, that's not... Can't think of a single example where that's true. So I mean, it, there are periods of rest, and I'm not saying that those times of rest you shouldn't be able to to breathe and, and you know mountaintop experiences. There's all kinds of, of great examples of just times where you know God's just pulling you into Him and saying, "We're going to have a quiet time. We're, 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 we're going to refocus. We're going to you know you just had a, a great vacation. you Needed it. You needed some some time of rest, and it's it's necessary. But at the end of it all, you you maintain this this mental attitude, and so I'm going to. Move ahead. I, I've got myself totally behind now because I am. I like stories. I love stories. I want to move into First Peter four because okay. So if you have the reality of suffering and the idea that hope is what gets you through it, that that hope is the um, the tether to Jesus. That, that that hope in a living Savior is what gets us through suffering and keeps us focused and keeps us in a in a correct heart and mental place to deal with it. Well, what's at the other end? What are we looking for? It's glory. It is the ultimate place that is to be with Jesus in heaven. Um, glory, I talked about this like a year and a half ago at a men's study. I I, I love just a word study on glory, and I, I just briefly say that glory has a physical, like, weight to it in, like, the original like Hebrew. Like, it's it's not just this abstract, like glory. It's, you know, I think a lot of people would imagine, like, light or something, uh, bright or, uh, kind of blinding. And then, if you actually get into language, glory has, like, substance. It is weight. Um, uh, <laughs> the idea that it, it would be, um, glory would be like steak next to cotton candy. <laughs> yeah, if you can imagine, just like something that has, uh, something real to it. And that is God. God is not this abstract idea of, uh, you know, same thing with, with Jesus and God who, who are, you know, one and the same. It, it's not this, this, um, abstract idea of like, you no, know, it's just this kind of lighty thing that, you know, just looks good in pictures and, you know, and in imagery and, and, you know, and it's just a thing, with, you know, it's real. And glory is the expression of God's substance, His weight. His, His glory is something that is, is tangible. Um that's why it would literally kill us in our, in our current bodies if we were exposed to it. We, we couldn't take it. It's so intense. Um, but the end of suffering is glory. In 1 Peter 4, I'm going to start in verse 12. I'm going to read a few verses here, and I'll talk a little bit more. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Oh, he actually differentiates God and glory here in verse 14. Now they're, they're one and the same, but we get to partake. That, that that's, that's part of the end. That we actually get to partake in God's glory, that it's something that not share in a he loses something but that he brings us into his and i mean to to again this is being written to first century christians these people understood suffering these people understood the the weight of what their commitment to jesus cost and i i, I so most people, when they think of, like, count it all joy, they think of James, which is a, a, a great passage, you know, count it all joy when you fall into the various trials. I would like the way that Peter phrases it here a little bit better, just the idea of, like, um, do not think it strange, like something's hap- like something strange is happening to you when you're in the middle of a fiery trial. It's like, don't don't look at, at the world and, like, act like the rest of the world when you think suffering and think, oh, what is happening? This is bad. Get it off. I, I want anything to do with this. We're not supposed to look at it that way. Our perspective is supposed to shift because we're supposed to again look at suffering and look at trials and say, God is working in me. He's working on me. And the end of this is glory in Him. And I should be joyful, not depressed in the middle of all this. I should be, I should em- embrace it. And again, to go back to my, just the idea that you, you lean into it. You don't try to avoid the trials of this world, that you lean into it, that you Keep your eye on Jesus and not on this world. That you don't look around wondering, what is this thing happening? Why is it happening? That You go, no, of course this is happening. It happens, it's happening because Jesus loves me and wants me to grow in him. He wants sanctification to actually be happening. Not just be a, a cool word we, we look up in, uh, in lexicons, but to be a real thing in our lives. The idea of purification, of being set apart. That's not something that happens without work. And at work, honestly, looks looks rough at times, but it is something to be embraced, something to be. Gosh, it's weird to guys. I, I, I'm not immune from this. I'm not standing up here saying that uh, I don't struggle with this. I struggle with this immensely. The idea of like you say, it's going to be hard, it's going to be awful, and you should look forward to it. <laughs> but that's the truth, right? That's that's the absolute truth. And that is something where if you have the perspective correctly set in your mind, you know that this is going to be rough. I'm going to come through it better, closer to God, and at the end of it, I'm going to be with him. And I don't know exactly how it's going to look or how long it's going to take. He doesn't give us the details. That he's not, We're not privy to that. We don't need to know that. You know, I had the benefit in basic of I had a date. I knew, like, you know. <laughs> One way or the other, this is over. <laughs> Whether I've crawled across the finish line or been at the beginning, it's. I know that at that date, the drill sergeant is going to all of a sudden smile at me and say, congratulations, and we, we don't get the exact date. We do know that what's coming, though. So we're asked to endure, to persevere, and to set our hearts on joy mode. I, 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 it's. It's something that couldn't work and doesn't make any sense outside of Jesus Christ. Because there's nothing else. Like, name one other thing in the world that could do this. That that, that would be a source strong enough to give this to us. There's, um, I'm going to close with, uh, with this. A great, uh, uh, one more analogy, but this one's from the Bible. <laughs> and this is from Jesus and John where he's talking about getting through something and knowing what's on the other end. In John 16, 20, 20 through 22, and this is Jesus is talking about the end times, and he's talking about himself specifically um, going to the cross. But the principle applies really well here. And think about this too. You about guys? Jesus went to the cross knowing what's on the other side. Talk about embracing something that you know is going to be the most horrendous thing you could possibly go through. And I, I'm not going to go through the specifics of crucifixion, but I think most people here know it. He knew exactly what was coming. And he didn't turn away from it because he knew it was on the side. And he uses this analogy when he's talking to the disciples about what's coming. where He said, Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. It's, it's one of the best uh, human analogies you can think of, right? Birth. I've been through three. Most people here have probably been through at least one or two. It's rough. <laughs> I remember watching my wife, and it was just like, okay. And, and you can't do anything, right? You just, you're, you're, you just got to get through it. There's not a magic. I mean, we, we've come close. There's some cool drugs these days. But it's still a process. And it's so true. You get to the other end of it. And like, You, you, you hear your, your child's first cry, and you see him, and it's just like instantly it's all gone. And the incredible joy of where you've arrived just overpowers so totally the suffering that came before. And if you look at the perspective of, I mean, labor, even bad labor is a day or two. Most, most time is is hours. I mean, proportionally to the joy of the entire life in front of you, it's, it's, it's a tiny, tiny little thing. And I know it doesn't seem like in the middle of it. It sure didn't seem like in the middle of it when, uh, when I was there in the room, and I mean, I was just the, the bystander. I mean, I, a woman could, I'm sure, speak to the much, much greater, uh, strength to this than I could. But, in the middle of it, it seems like, you're kinda like, when is this gonna end? Like, I, I can't, I'm not even sure I can take more of this. I mean, that's, right, that's the movie scene we always see, you know, like, I can't take it, this has gotta end, you know, just, I'm gonna die. Because in the moment, you're so, it's so hard to have the perspective, like, okay, there's something good coming, but this is so bad. I don't know how I can. No, there's there is hold on to what we know is the end, and that's what Peter was encouraging the first century church to be at. And he's encouraging us today to keep our eyes fixed on the right things, to keep joy, to show that to those around us, to not 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 keep it bottled up, but to be a witness. And I uh, just it's it's so encouraging and it's so relevant. And something that we don't just learn once. Go, all right, that's great. I get it. It's true. What's next? It's something that every day we need to renew in our hearts and our minds, and just push into it and not try to avoid it. So, let's pray, through Jesus. Just I thank you for the encouraging examples of the men that you called, the women that you called into your service to to write these things down for us to that you shared the examples of their lives that you then gave us the the lessons that they learned at the end of um, at those things that just thank you so much for that thank you for your word that you didn't um, you knew what we needed, and you wrote it down for us so we could go back to it time and time again because you know as Jen said earlier this morning it's we are prone to wander we are prone to leave we are prone to mess up, but we just pray that you would just bind us to you that you would Keep us tethered to you, that the, the joy and the hope that is only found in you would just be something that, that just lives in us and we don't we don't walk away from it. I just pray that you would encourage everybody here that you would just as we go into this next week that that you would uh you give us joy in the middle of you know every heart here Jesus you know what everybody's dealing with you know what kind of stressors and 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 problems they have whether it's family or finances or work or you know, or they have you know family has been affected there's so many things you're in it all and that you would just you would just bless them you would give them hope you would give them joy you would give them that peace that passes every understanding of human beings because we can't understand it but we can't deny it either because it comes from you We just thank you so much for that, Jesus, and we pray that you would just keep that alive in us as we go into this week in your name.